go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll pick up again in Exodus 14. Let's pray. Father, good to again be in your house to close out the Lord's day in looking at your word and fellowshipping together. We pray for these that have been mentioned this morning, uh, this evening, rather, Lord. Uh, we lift them up to you. Our prayer is that you would intervene on their behalf according to your will. Think of, of Thelma Shoup this evening. Be with her and so many others, Lord, that are uh, with different illnesses and uh, conditions in the body. We do pray for them and ask that you would uh, touch and restore them according to your will. We do pray, Father, that you would abide and be with uh, your word tonight as we learn of you in this uh, great miracle found here in the Old Testament. Teach us how it applies to us this day. Abide and be with our children and our youth as they study the word this evening as well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Brother Tim, if you would put the first slide up. <clears throat> so we closed out with this last Sunday evening. And I think I mentioned to you, if you would, um, there is, there is a, a parenthesis that occurs between chapter 13 and chapter 14. So uh, there's uh, a travel, uh, verse uh, uh, 21, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night a pillar of fire. He didn't take it away. And so there's, there's some travel from uh, Etham, which is not really not located on any map. Sometimes it's up here, sometimes it's down here, which only leads us to know that there were many names for, um, for geographical points on ancient maps. So that makes it even more difficult to try to pinpoint where the crossing of the Red Sea took place. I think we, last Sunday evening, we mentioned that Obviously, they didn't go the way of the Philistines up in this area. Uh, they didn't cross over the wilderness of Paran or the wilderness of Shur. Now, there is, as you cross over into Midian, there is another wilderness of Shur. So this complicates things. Where, where did this take place? And I think I mentioned to you that probably... They journeyed uh, adjacent to the western shore of the Sinai Peninsula down uh, to uh, the wilderness along these mountains. In fact, uh, verse uh, 2 of chapter 14 says, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before um, Pi Hiroth between Migdal and the sea opposite uh, Baal Zephon, and you should camp bef uh, before it by the sea. So, this was a, a natural barrier, these mountains here, hemmed in the Hebrew people. And that's what Pharaoh is looking for. It says, uh, verse 3, Pharaoh will save the children of Israel. They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. So I have some uh, closer views here in just a couple of slides. Next slide, if you would, Brother Tim. <clears throat> so in verses 10 through 12, Pharaoh, um, actually the latter part of, of verse 9, he overtakes them. So there's a journey of about mm, maybe 150 miles from that previous, the uh, previous uh, slide down the western coast there. So 
eventually Pharaoh, because he has chariots, and he also has foot soldiers, but they're, they're moving rapidly, much more rapidly than the children of Israel. So it could have been, probably was, as much as maybe two weeks uh, from the end of chapter 13 to where we are here in chapter 14. And it, again, it's hard to pinpoint it because of some of the of the difficulties and, and where these particular places um, were uh, many, many years ago. So the Egyptians pursue them. Verse 10 says that they were very afraid, which is the, the children of Israel, and you would think that, and they began to complain, why have you taken us out of Egypt so that we just die here in the wilderness? So the wilderness would not have been close to Egypt. So that, again, leads us to think that it is further away from Egypt itself. Now, there were no two ways to choose from, as they made this way. Uh, Spurgeon, of course, in one of his sermons said this, for they must needs march uh, through the sea. They are hemmed up against the mountains on one side and the sea on the other, and, of course, Pharaoh is pursuing them. Uh, they couldn't wander. And so they did the natural thing. They started to complain to Moses. Um, they, their road was walled in on all sides, and the only thing that could help, they cried out to the Lord, obviously. They prayed, and um, in Psalm 46, it's mentioned that God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. So that reminds us that there are situations in our life when these particular things take place, not perhaps not at the uh, as uh, severe as what we see here, but uh, that that has to do with uh, the specific human being, does it not? And so they are praying. There are no graves. They continue to pl complain. And so in verse 13, next slide, if you would, brother. <clears throat> Thirteen and fourteen, Moses says, "Don't be afraid." So here's God's man, uh, and we have a very different Moses now than what uh, we see back in chapters three and four. So Moses had been the instrument, the prophet of God, in the ten plagues. He now is emboldened by the Spirit of God to lead the people, and he's doing a uh, a very leader type thing. Now, was Moses unafraid? Absolutely not. He was afraid. But he had seen the Lord work through his hand at least ten times, if not more. And so he stands before the people and he says a very interesting thing. He says, stand still. That's hard to do when you're hemmed in on all sides and obviously you have it at that point the most powerful military in the known world. So Moses did not know what the Lord was going to do. The Lord didn't wake him up in a dream and said, I'm going to do this. Uh, he didn't know. But he did know what the Lord had already done to deliver them. And so he is uh, a man of courage. He's a man of strength. He's a man of fortitude. He's a man of character. And he's a man with backbone. Now, he's facing 
several hundreds of thousands of people, and certainly they could have easily taken his life had they wanted to, but they don't. For the Egyptians, he says, the latter part of verse 13, whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. So two things. He said, I want you to stand still, and I want you to be quiet. Now, this is very unlike people that are, um, that are under duress, that are in a crisis situation. I don't know if you uh, have read any of this, but a, a few weeks ago there was a uh, Japanese airliner that uh, was uh, uh, on the runway on the tarmac, and a, a Japanese Coast Guard plane uh, was taxiing, and they're not exactly sure what happened, miscommunication, but it hit the airliner, and the airliner burst into flame. There were almost 200 people on board this Japanese airliner. Well, the FAA of the, uh, in, in the States requires that uh, you evacuate a plane uh, in times of duress if it's on the ground, that the entire plane must be evacuated in 90 seconds. Now, that's hard to do when you have 200 people, and those of you that have flown before, you know that the, the doors are not that large, and, and, and particularly when there's a fire. Well, short story, uh, long story short, all of the almost 200 passengers and crew on board the Japanese airliner evacuated safely. Now, it took them 30 minutes, not 30 seconds. And so they were asking some of the... Um, flight attendants, the pilot and co-pilot, why was there no severe injury, why were there no deaths and so forth? And one of the flight attendants say, said that we told them to be quiet and orderly, and they obeyed. Now, what do you think of Americans? Do you think we, we would have been quiet and orderly? There's something about standing still, and there's something about holding our peace that opens us up to the Lord fighting for us. And apparently, the people obeyed. Verse 15, the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Now, how's this going to happen? But the only thing before them was the Red Sea. So Moses had said, I want you to see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord is going to fight for you. But here, salvation is not the eternal word or the sense of used in the eternal word, like to be delivered to home, to be delivered to heaven, but rather a victory. Uh, Moses said, you're going to see the hand of the Lord in a uh, march across the sea. But lift up your rod, verse 16, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry land through the midst of the sea. So this had never happened before. There's no precedent here. We have the precedent today, but there was no precedent then. So the, the amazing, and obviously it's the Spirit of God working in the life of Moses, the amazing, amazing courage of Moses, and then the obedience of Moses. Moses has no idea what's going to take place, and yet he obeys. Next slide, if you would. 
All right. So, uh, I will harden the hearts, verse 17, of the Egyptians. They shall follow them. I will go. I will gain honor over Pharaoh, over his army, his chariots, his horsemen. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Remember, honor is one of the components of worship. So the Lord says, you're going to see this. I'm going to, to spare your life. And when it's done, you're going to worship me. And that's what chapter 15 is about. So he had brought them out of Egypt, down the uh, western uh, coast of uh, Sinai, and uh, to see what takes place, of course, in verse 19. I don't know if there's another slide that follows. I don't know if you can see this. <clears throat> Go back to the previous one, if you would, brother. All right, so here we are in Goshen. And... Uh, Coming down here, here is another place called Succoth. There is also a place just outside of the land of Goshen that is named, that is called Succoth. So the thought now is with uh, archaeological discoveries in this particular region that it's not the Succoth that here that Moses is referring to, but the Succoth that is, that is here. So they had made a, a, a fairly, this is about 50 miles or so, maybe 75 miles. They had made a fairly uh, rapid movement for a million and a half people uh, because there was nothing really that prohibited them along this uh, shoreline. And so they come to Succoth and they keep moving on down. So here there was an Etham that's listed up next to the Succoth that is close to Goshen. There's also, I don't know if you can see it or not, but there's also an Etham here. So, again, the uh, mountain ranges that would have hemmed them in, the only way they couldn't, they certainly couldn't turn and go back. And so they come here to, and this, all of this is the Red Sea. It has always been the Red Sea. This is the Gulf of Aqaba. This is the Gulf of Suez, but it is the Red Sea. Uh, and call that today. Uh, this is uh, the Straits of Tehran. You also see here Hyaroth, which is right on the, the tip of uh, the Sinai Peninsula. So the thinking is, here's the wilderness of Sur. You get over here, wilderness of Shur, the wilderness of Paran, the wilderness of Paran, the wilderness of... So all of this is part of the desert area. Uh, the uh, map makers in those days did not uh, spend a great deal of time identifying different regions. So they are down in this particular region here, or at least recent archaeology says that's where they are. Taking them maybe 10 days to two weeks to get there. Uh, next slide, if you would. So this is, uh, this is a, a close-up, rather, of an area across the straits and also in the region. Of course, it is uh, across the Red Sea, but in this particular area. 
Uh, here is Baal Zephon, Mount Tiran, uh, about 501 meters or about 500 meters, about 1,500 to 2,000 feet in its height. Now, there, are, there is some thought, and so if this is the case, then they would have crossed. Uh, do I have one more slide or one more map to go down, brother? I don't think I do. I think there was one more I wanted to show, but that's the last one. Yeah, there is one more. I'll put that on uh, next week. So five kilometers or about three miles or so along this, uh, along and across the Red Sea. There's another map that shows that it's about 16 kilometers. And a lot of this had to do with the tides. This would have been uh, at uh, uh, low tide. And at high tide, some of this area would have been, uh, would have been covered as well. It really doesn't matter what, uh, what the tides are because the Lord would have taken care of those either way. Um, so this is, again, on the very end of Sinai. They're backed up against the wall. The uh, Baal Zephon is the, is the island region right here. And so this would have been day 17 through 25, okay? A couple of weeks, three weeks maybe, where they camped. Tim, if you would go all the way back to the first slide. There's something else I want to show. Yeah, go back to the map, the first, the first map we showed. Think one more. Okay, thank you. A few years ago, uh, NOVA, PBS, put together a documentary on the crossing of the Red Sea. And the area that they chose, and this has probably been 15 years or more, but the area that they chose was this area. And you will see that there are some paths across, although it would have been highly unlikely and probably uh, outside of the character of God to take them across a desert area. At least as they made their way down the western slope, they were close to proximity of, of the mountains, which, and which would have provided them with some streams. The deserts obviously have no streams. But there's a problem with this. If they crossed in this particular region, why would Pharaoh have followed them? Why would he not just take his army and go around and wait for them? So the, the situation that occurred was not only were the Hebrew people hemmed in by the mountains and the sea, the Egyptians were too. And so their only choice was to follow them, and we know that uh, they did. Uh, and he troubled the army. Uh, he says, verse uh, 26, Now it took all night for this uh, crossing to take place. The Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians and their chariots and on the horsemen. So they could have easily, and Pharaoh was no dummy, and he had men that were no dummies, they could have easily just traveled maybe 
10 miles. They, they certainly could have done that quite rapidly with the equipment that they have and waited on the Hebrew people. Or Moses himself could have led the Hebrew people that way. So it had to be in a region that was uh, where they were hemmed in, and it had to be in a region where neither the Hebrews or the Egyptians could have moved easily in any other direction. So that's why most biblical archaeologists today consider that this is the region that they would have uh, crossed in, uh, at the mouth of the Gulf of uh, Agaba. Uh, Moses would have been very familiar with this. That is the land of Midian. He would, spent 40 years in Midian. He would have been familiar with the tides, even though it had been a while since he had been there. And so the most probable place is there on the southern end of the Sinai Peninsula. Now, the Lord has a way of always <laughs> throwing a wrench in things. But from what we know and from what we can ascertain, that's uh, probably what took place. Now, I'm going to stop there this evening. I do have one more slide. I, I thought I had it. I put it on and show you the high tide version of it, which was uh, quite a bit more. Um, in other words, I had quite a bit, um, about twice as long, maybe three times as long to cross the uh, Red Sea. But regardless of that, they, uh, they were able to do it, and the Lord protected them. Any comments or questions this evening? <coughs> Let's pray. Father, as much of this that we don't understand, but uh, we believe it because it's stated in your word. Moses recorded it. It is evidence of your uh, protection, your steadfast love for the nation of Israel and how you delivered them from the, the Egyptians and you kept them delivered until such time as the armies of Pharaoh could be destroyed. Teach us these great truths this evening and when we are, when our backs are against the mountains or against the walls and we have difficult situations, remind us, Father, that you're the, the God of all mercy and the God of all grace. Bless, I pray, every person, family that is here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.